Welcome to another episode of Foreign, Domestic and Forbidden, a podcast about books and ideas. I'm Tim Trash. And I am Joaquin Lobo. And we'll be your hosts for the next hour. Joaquin, how are you? I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm still recovering from watching the Super Bowl. Um, not that I care that much, but it's kind of hard to avoid it. It's very much in your face in the U.S. Everybody's watching it. And if you go out and drive anywhere, the streets are empty. That's something that you've never seen. All the freeways are empty. And I, the only thing that I can imagine comparable to that is uh, a world soccer match because that's what I grew up with. And I remember distinctly being, when I was living in Argentina, one day I was living in this small town called Tandil. Uh, one day uh, the Argentinian team was playing a semi-final, I think, of a World Cup. And I had a visitor from out of town and I took him up to this hill to see the entire valley from this really beautiful location. And at that very moment, the Argentinian team scored the goal and I could hear the entire town just like shake and scream and move. And it was just <laughs> an amazing experience. <laughs> and I'm sure, you know, you guys are from uh, soccer countries. So maybe, maybe you can relate to that. And when I say you guys, I should say that we have a guest. Yes, we have a very, very illustrious guest. Uh, today, Auntie Tuomainen is joining us, a best-selling author of really a lot, a lot of books, prodigious output, Palm Beach, Finland, The Man Who Died, Rabbit Factor, Dark Is My Heart, uh, Little Siberia, and really, really cool, very dark books, uh, ranging from thriller to dark crime novel. And always also very little, kind of funny. Um, and has been likened to Carl Hyacin, sort of as a US counterpart, um, but very, very Finnish, very, very dark and funny. Welcome, Auntie Tuomain. So happy to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's really nice to be here or there in California in this in this particular Zoom meeting. Yeah, speaking of California and Super Bowl, what's the weather like in Finland right now? Uh, it's been a winter that has everything. Uh, we've been having everything. Uh, snow, it's been very cold. It's been slightly warmer. We've had uh, really icy rain. And now we're having snow again. Um, it's 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 like that in Helsinki. We're by the sea, and that makes it. It's it's well. The winter is basically dark and cold and wet and just miserable. <laughs> <laughs> basically, <laughs> yeah. Uh, we wish we had some snow here, um, but it's unseasonably warm and very dry we have a drought again we're still the same one we've been having for a few years so we, right, we could use right. some of your snow we could we could trade a little bit yeah we can send something over yeah definitely we've got plenty 
Uh, actually, what Joaquin said about uh, the, the the soccer and and the town being quiet and and all of a sudden bursting into a lot of noise, that happens here with ice hockey. When when Finland is playing, uh, say the the World Championship final, it's like the emptiest streets you've ever seen uh, because everybody is watching it on television or in bars or wherever. And when Finland scores, the same thing happens that, you know, that the houses shake basically. Wow. Yeah. It's a nice hockey country. Yeah. I used to live in Buffalo and that was the same thing. Right. They they had the Sabres and when they went to the Stanley Cup final, the whole town was honking and screaming. It was great. It was really great. Yeah. Well, so good to see you, Auntie. We met, I should say, in Mexico back in 2017. And I just remember that because I I, I dug out some of your some copies of your books and I saw the dedication, the kind of dedication uh, that brought me all the way back to 2017 in San Luis Potosí. And uh, then I saw you in Helsinki in 2018, I believe, or 2019, when I was traveling in yeah. England, and that was that was quite a few hours that, that we spent together. You don't know this, but I owed you a character in one of in that in the novel that I wrote after that trip. And uh, very briefly, we talk about uh, the relationship between Russia and Finland. Very, right. You probably don't remember that, but I figured that uh, I needed a character who was a Russian immigrant. Because, you know, in my book, um, immigrants were, are a big part of the story. So thank you. Thank you very much for, for giving me Alexander. You're, you're very welcome. I, I, I don't remember that particular conversation or what we said, but uh, I find it very uh, easy to believe that we did have that conversation. It's something that comes up uh, with people who come to visit here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And probably even more so now with the whole weird situation oh, yeah. with Russia. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Interesting yeah. times, I must say. Yeah, I also remember a story you told. That was the first time I heard that, that Finnish people who kept reindeer were castrating them by biting off the balls of the reindeer. That, that, that <laughs> yeah. is still, that's still <laughs> that very might... stuck in my mind. <laughs> I, I remind you that that is a story. That that is a legend. <laughs> I actually looked it up at some point on the internet, and, <laughs> and, and it seems quite scientific. I mean, it's it's uh, it seems more than a story. Yeah, but I think they now have more um, advanced tools to do that with than just bare teeth. Yeah. But it's so much more visceral. I mean, what a what a beautiful way to do that. I don't know. Just I saying. ate reindeer in Finland, and I, I swear to God, I didn't eat it like that. It was served to me cooked on a plate. Yeah, mm. we do eat it. Yeah. Um. When when I sent you an email, um, I I mentioned Nordic noir, and you were not very happy with that tag. So so for our listeners, um. 
who might have heard about you that way from the New York Times articles uh, everywhere. Um, how would you how would you define your own work? How do you see yourself? We met at the Crime Writers Conference, but I'm not even sure that you that you really see yourself as a crime writer nowadays. So how would you define what you're doing? Well, I, I don't mind uh, uh, being sort of categorized or, 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 uh, or if I'm appearing on a panel, I don't mind that it's, it's tagged Nordic noir or, or Scandinavian noir or, or crime fiction. Uh, But I, I think why I hesitated is a bit when you when you propose the topic is that I don't really know as much about Nordic noir or or Scandinavian crime fiction as I do perhaps know about um, American or 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 European noir for that matter, because that's what I grew up with. Uh, I, I did not, um, I'm going a little bit further back. Uh, I started, when I started writing, when I decided I was going to be a writer at 18, uh, I was going to be a poet. Mm. So I, I, poetry was my first big love, if, if, if you want to put it that way. And, and, And especially Finnish poetry, which is actually really, really beautiful, and uh, there's a lot of it, and it's it's a really, it's been a poetry uh, tradition here, uh, a very strong one. So that was my first thing, but um, there were a few twists and turns along the way. But then I got actually my mother bought me a copy of Elmer Leonard's book and and <laughs> I read it and I didn't know what to think other than I want to do this <laughs> so so ever since then it's been a mixture of 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 Finnish poetry and American crime fiction uh, but along the way Uh, I've had also going side by side with this literary thing that I've been doing, writing books. I've had um, films and, and I have two big loves over there as well, which have been, again, noir films and comedies of all sorts. Um, and really ranging from anything by... Mm, These old masters, uh, Billy Wilder and and everybody else, all the way to say bridesmaids, uh -huh. which is actually a really nice film. <laughs> It really is. It is anyway. And yes. <laughs> anyway, and so there's there's this mixture of influences, and I I I suppose I and I have no explanation other than that what I just said as to why I don't really know that much about Scandinavian crime fiction or Nordic noir per se even though I'm you know perfectly happy if I'm on a panel in Mexico 
uh, billed as a Scandinavian crime fiction author. That's fine because I'm from here and I do write crime fiction of sorts. Yes. I suppose. Sorry for that very long monologue. That was <laughs> just... <laughs> well, that, that was great. Also, I, you know, I was trying to find an, an equivalent of so what you do in Helsinki with other writers and uh, Stefan mentioned this guy from Florida and then when you say Elmer Leonard that made total sense I mean there is something in your books that reminds me of you know some classic classic words by Elmer Leonard and I was going to ask you do you remember the 10 rules of writing that Elmer Leonard I mean, oh yeah oh yeah were you like totally influenced by like that's super famous. No, I would never, you know, I would never ever think that I'm, you know, anything uh, as as you know as masterly as Elmer Leonard, and especially when he 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 does have his, you know, it's entirely his own way of writing and way of doing the whole thing, and it's and even. If, if I was or anybody was trying to sort of imitate that, it would be horrible because, that, yeah. I mean, that's, that's him. But what I learned from him, I think, and I hope, is that, you know, just do what you do, but do it with your own voice and do just trust that and just go places where, you want to go. I mean, there just clearly is that in his writing is that, you know, I'm doing whatever I want. <laughs> and that's very freeing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I wanted to ask you something that has nothing to do with writing. How's, how's the pandemic in Finland and Europe right now? Oh, I think we're... In Finland, especially, I think we're seeing uh, sort of the, the the last spike, or hopefully the last spike. Who who knows? I mean, we've had you know like several last spikes, but uh, <laughs> yes. uh, so so uh, hopefully the last one. I think they're going to remove uh, the last remaining restrictions in about. A week or so. Yeah. So, so that after that, it's as much back to normal as you know, I suppose possible. I don't know if we're ever going to go back to what it was in 2019, which seems like a different world. Yes. Has has that had actually an influence on your work in any way, shape, or form? No. Uh, I, I made a very conscious choice in, in writing that I would not write anything to do with, with, uh, with COVID or, or, you know, people wearing masks or, or, or staying home or God, I don't want to, I, I mean, I, 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 you know, I, there were these, I think somebody was trying to, you know, make a quick buck, uh, uh, you know, like, publisher publishing this uh, book, uh, COVID Diaries, I think it was called mm -hmm. here. And 
nobody bought that book because nobody, <laughs> I mean, it was just <laughs> felt flat. I mean, I mean, I don't mean that you have to sell a lot of books to, you know, to be anything. I don't, that's not my point at all, but, but it's just that people, and I'm certainly, you know, personally, I, I'm too tired to watch a TV show about staying home or reading a book about staying home. I've stayed home. I mean, I, I, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not an experience I want to read or watch or anything. So I made a very conscious choice uh, that, you know, in, 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 in these books that I've now written during the pandemic, uh, two of them, uh, they're like happening in a world where, you know, COVID is unheard of. I like that decision. I think that we have too much of that already. I don't want to find that in my in my bookshelf or my <laughs> yeah. yeah, and you get it. You just have to like open your phone or open the newspaper right. or open anything. It's like five pages of COVID. I mean, am I going to read that and then you know, oh, I'm going to relax with a book? <laughs> <laughs> you know, more of that. No. I have actually noticed that I find it very difficult to read these days because I am always home. I mean, books were cool when you could go out in the world and then you would carve out your very private space of, of being with yourself with a glass of, I don't know, wine, coffee, what, what have you, and, and your book. And you would have sort of this, this quiet space um, that was only for you. And now I'm always in this quiet space, like 24 hours. Even, even when I teach online, it feels I'm still in this quiet space. I'm just talking to weird tiles on a screen. And so, so I, I find it, it, it harder and harder to just like give myself over to some imagining of the world when everything I, I think I experience in a day feels utterly private but also very imagined not real so that that is sort of my my experience in the pandemic that that the reading is harder because i yeah i don't want to go into an even more private space uh, have you both been teaching online now like on zoom yeah i'm going today actually i'm first time back with the Omicron uh, first time back in the classroom, because we're also going to lift the sort of the, uh, the indoor mask uh, mandate uh, soon here in California yeah. on, ca on campus. It might remain. I don't know. Uh, last fall, I taught one class in person, uh, but we were all masked the whole time. So it was a strange experience to only see right. half half a face. I still don't know how some of my students actually really looked like, which is <laughs> entirely weird. Um, yeah. But yeah, mostly, mostly online. Yeah. 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 I, I tip my hat to you guys. Uh, I, I found the whole, uh, the, the sort of the, the Zoom world a bit, um, a bit taxing, a bit, a bit, uh, it, it took a lot of uh, energy for some reason. It just took a lot of energy having meetings online and everything. It just required a different kind of energy. Then. And then when you meet people, when you meet them live, 
you get energy back. But on Zoom, it's very hard to do that. You know, there isn't yeah. this um, sort of interchange of, of, of energy. Uh, actually, what you said about uh, reading being a bit harder now, uh, I weirdly, I found that with writing at one point, uh, and it, it's, it's funny because w- what I do is I write and I, I do that work alone. And my days, I spent them, uh, even before the pandemic, I spent them alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and, and, and then all of a sudden, I, I did the very same thing. I, I, I go into my office in the morning. I, I, I walk home in the evening. And I, it was the same. But weirdly, during the pandemic, all of a sudden, I, I was starting to find it harder to write, do that same thing. Uh, I mean, doing that exact same thing but with much, much less energy <laughs> for, for a long period of time. And it was just, I mean, it, and there was no change uh, in, 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 the, in the physical environment. Uh, mm-hmm. It was just something that happened, just, you know, very draining. Yeah. Do, do you rent an office? So to have an office to go to? I do. Yeah, yeah. I, I found that to be a really, really, really productive uh, and, and creatively good choice. Costs a little money, but I, I, I think it's done me a whole lot of good uh, over the period of years that I've had it. And it was actually my wife's idea that I work outside of home. I wonder why she came up with that. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, I... I I think it's it's something to do because because there's also a physical distance between my home and, and the office and it, it it's actually wonderful it, it takes about 35 minutes to walk uh to the office and then 35 minutes back as well surprisingly enough but it's enough in the morning to sort of to, to fully wake up and just it, it, it's 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 really nice and I do it even if it's really crappy weather as it's been well for the last three months I think <laughs> so, <laughs> so but I do it every day and it's it, it's actually wonderful because then you fully wake up and your your and your head's sort of uh, in a different place. Well, naturally it's in a different place, but not only physically, but mentally as well. It's in a different place. Uh, when you're home, you're home all the time. I mean, for me at least. Yeah. Auntie, I'm curious about what are you reading these days? I mean, you mentioned that you pay a lot of attention or you look towards uh, the U.S., or you used to look towards the U.S. Um, is is that something that you keep doing these days? You still read American authors? Are you also interested in writers from other places? Well, I am. I am. I do read. I read all kinds of stuff uh, uh, lately um, because I've been doing this. What I'm now actually writing is 
book three in a trilogy about uh, an insurance mathematician. And it's, it's really, and it's from, from this main character's point of view, I mean, what he sees is everything through mathematics and logic and rational thinking. And I find it absolutely wonderful to, to, to switch into that. And, and what I've been doing now is, uh, I mean, for the last, I think, two years, I've been reading a lot about, uh, for example, probability. I've been reading these um, books about mathematics, you know, not like overtly difficult books because, you know, these are like, what do you call it when it's, um, oh God, yleinen tietokirjallisuus, you know, uh, this uh, nonfiction that is understand, you know, difficult things made, you know, but popular uh, nonfiction. Popular science. Oh, thank you. So anyway, so I've been reading a lot of, that kind of books about, uh, uh, there was this skin in the game uh, about Nassim Nicholas Taleb, uh, and, and, he, and he wrote uh, The Black Swan uh, mm. maybe 10 years ago. Mm. Really interesting stuff about our uh, faulty perception of, of, of things. And, mm. and it's really, really wonderful to sort of, uh, approach things that way because what I what I found one of the things that I found great about being a writer is that I can also take advantage of something that is within me uh, that is also uh, well it's worked to my advantage this thing that I have I can be interested in something for a year or two but then I'm not interested in it anymore. But as a writer, it works to my advantage because I can be immensely interested in mathematics for, for a year or two, but then I'm like, oh God, I don't want to be in mathematics anymore or, or I, I, I'm not, I want to do some, something new. But as a writer, I can do that. So, but I, so it's no wonder that I, I chose this profession because if I, if I were to choose a career, I mean, what would happen if in a year or two, I'd be like, no, I don't want to do this anymore. I need to start a new career in, in whatever field. Yeah, that also adds something, a layer of very special interest for some readers. I, I remember, uh, I don't know if you ever read uh, this Spanish writer, uh, Vasquez Montalban, Manuel Vasquez Montalban. He had a detective, Pepe Carvalho, who loved cooking. And he was so much into cooking. So it was a real pleasure to read his books because he always came out with recipes. <laughs> Pepe Carvalho starts, you know, he feels like, okay, I'm gonna, I have to have this rabbit paella, right? So he goes to the market and he comes right. home and he starts to work on the paella and you go through the entire process of making a paella. And that was, you know, when I read, read him for the first time 30 years ago, that was so new to me. And I thought, wow, can you do that? And that was really amazing that his research had to do with, you know, culinary research. And that gave the reader a little extra. So I imagine that, you know, in the case of your book, Math, for those people who appreciate math, who are curious about that process of thinking, of doing things, 
you know, it also adds that, that, that extra layer of interest that, that they probably appreciate. I, I think so, because uh, if you don't mind a, a, a tiny little story here. Um, I wrote The Rabbit Factor, which is the first book uh, about insurance mathematician Henry Koskinen. And the book came out and a couple of months later, I got a request um, to be a speaker in the Finnish uh, Actuaries Union Christmas dinner. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, and I told him, you know, this, I, I, I don't know anything about insurance mathematics. Didn't that also so, happen when you, when you wrote about uh, mushrooms? I was, I was coming to that. So <laughs> I had experience of that because when I wrote The Man Who Died, uh that same thing happened uh i i in that book uh i built a world of 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 a mushroom factory and a mushroom exporting business that exported mushrooms from finland to japan and and there is no such business but but there could be and and and, and i built it and in theory <laughs> in book it works like an actual business and it Actually, the way I did it, it, it seems like it's, it's, you know, like a profitable business. The book came out, and a few months later, I got an interview request from the Finnish Mushroom magazine. They wanted to interview me because I was, <laughs> I was an expert on the, ma on the matter. <laughs> That was awesome. Uh, what, what, you, what you said about... Um, sort of feeling a little different or branching out in different uh, lifestyles, mindsets, reminds me a lot about what actors are saying when they're working for a role, trying to worm themselves into, into an entirely different character. So do you experience something similar that while writing The Rabbit Factor, that you become kind of different and your friends might say, auntie, what happened to you? Like, you're kind of weird now. You're more like Mr. Spock. What, what happened? That happens. But, but, but I mean, I think it is true that, you know, I got interested in these probabilities and, 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 and through an article. And, and, and when I started reading about it, I think, What happened is that my perspective on, on things slightly changed because I started to think, I think a little bit more, I don't know, mathematically. And, and I remember when I said something, uh, we were discussing uh, some financial things uh, at home with my wife. And, and, and she said at one point, Okay, Henry. And Henry is the main character in the book. <laughs> so I think I think it does come that way. I don't set out to be, you know, like like actors, you know, they become somebody else. I don't I don't do that, but I think it it rubs off in in in, in a way that one is not always totally aware of. Yeah. Yeah, makes sense. Um, also, I saw that the Rabbit Factor is going to be 
a major motion picture with Steve Carell. Do you do you get to write for that? Are you are you going to be on set? Are you going to do the L.A. glamour thing? <laughs> Stefan, I'm I'm in Helsinki. I can't I can't do the L.A. glamour thing from here. <laughs> Well, you know, like they can fly you over, you know. I suppose they could. Um, I'm also an executive producer uh, on that. And, and oh. I actually, a few weeks ago, had a discussion with, uh, with the screenwriter. Uh, um, and it was a really nice conversation. And I, I, I actually one of the things that was quite astounding, really, is that I we talked for an hour and a half, and by the end of it, I was like, "This guy knows the book better than I do." Because, <laughs> <laughs> he he really knew it by heart. I mean, he he just you know, uh, and on page forty uh, one, you have this thing. Uh, where he says this and, and he says that, and I'm thinking, really? Um, could be, <laughs> but um, so far, so so what I mean by that is that so far it's been a really nice experience because everybody involved is is very into the project, very enthusiastic about it, and but who knows what's going to happen? Uh, it's it's. The world of film and television is is a very different world from a world of books. Uh, when you write a book, you pretty much know if if you sign a, a a publishing agreement, you pretty much know that it's going to be published at some point. But not so with uh, with television or film, as I've learned over the years. Um, it's 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 a different world. So, it's a very different world, yes. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a very different world. And I, I, I try to remain uh, with, with all, all the things that I'm involved with. I'm involved with a couple of other things. And I'm writing myself uh, a thing also. And I try to remain very optimistic. And, and, and although sometimes it seems that, you know, some things take a whole lot longer than you ever thought was going to be even possible. And that's just something you have to learn. It's like, we'll be in touch, could, can mean uh, three weeks or a year and a half. And do, uh, do you still write poetry? I haven't written poetry in a few years, I think. Have you found uh, a way to building poetry into your fiction or these like two different languages? It is very different, but but I try to there are books that I've written that I think have a, a sort of a poetic touch to them. Uh, one thing, one 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 book that I'm thinking now is is for example, Dark is my heart. That's that's very, very That's a very dark book. Oh, oh, my goodness. Thank you. That's, <laughs> that's an exotic sight. That's a blast from the past. For those of you listening, I'm showing my copy of Dark as My Heart. Yes. 
So, I mean, there's been books that there, it, it's been, the language has been sort of different because I'm also, what I'm trying to do is sort of also make the books very in tone as well. Uh, so that each, each story would find it's the tone that it needs. Uh, so, so, so I'm hoping they sound a bit different, all, all of my books. But let me ask you a question. I mean, yeah. we have no idea how you sound in Finnish, right? <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a very unique language, of course. It um, is, it is. And I, I've read you in, in, I read four of your books in English. And, you know, how do they sound when you, when you read your book in English and you think of the original in, in your own language? How, how, how would you qualify this difference? Oh my God, that's a good question. Uh, it it does sound different, uh, actually, uh, because Finnish, as a language, is very, very, very different from English. Uh, and Finnish is a very isolated language. It's often said that you know uh, Finnish and Hungarian are sort of related. Well, that's not very true. Uh, it's, <laughs> I mean, there might be some similar roots uh, going back 10,000 years or something like that. But it's, I mean, they're really nothing alike. So Finnish is a very isolated, a very different language from actually all the other languages in Scandinavia. And, and Finnish is very far from, from that whole language family where English is. And so when it's translated, it's, to me, I can speak English, I can read English, I can read very well. Uh, and, and, and I think it's, the translations, by the way, are excellent. But it's very hard because it's, a, it's an entirely different music. It's, it's, it's like you're making uh, one music into another music and then you're saying, oh, it's, it's the same music, but it's just different. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, you, you, you talked once about the title, The Man Who Died, and how that doesn't really convey what, what you actually had in mind with the title and what you were able to do in Finnish. Yeah, because in Finland... In Finnish, when you say the man who died, it's funny to people. It's darkly funny. People are like, he, he, it's like tingly funny. But when you say it to an English-speaking person, when you translate it directly, you say the man who died. They're like, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so the title alone is, is in Finnish. It's something that, you know, Yeah, a person person sees and it's like, oh, <laughs> oh, you said that, yeah. <laughs> and there there is this sort of a, a, a sort of built-in quality in the Finnish language that th there is so much when you translate it, you you lose it entirely because you just translate the 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 
the, the general meaning. So, so you don't get how it is said. Yeah, I, I noticed that um, I usually write in English and I translated a few of my books into German. And um, with one next to a lifted girl, uh, I wrote it in English and it's like it portrays Germany as one thing. But when I translated it, I noticed that I used a lot of regional words, you know, in every region, like the words for like a dinner roll or a tractor might be different. And suddenly, suddenly there was an entirely different meaning. Like for somebody who read the German translation, it was definitely set in Northern Germany, just from the sounds. But in English, that's entirely gone. It's just like one language. Uh, yeah, I can, I can understand that, that completely. I mean, the same thing with Finnish. And it, in Finnish, it, it's like, for example, if you say wet snow in English, meaning that, you know, it's, it's a sleet or whatever you call it. But in fin Finnish, you say ranta. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's a it's a bit tragicomic because it's such a yeah. miserable weather here, and it's it's tied to the region in that way. And and when you use it at a certain place, it's tragicomic again. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say that something very different happens with Spanish because you know we have more than twenty countries where we speak very different kinds of Spanish. And within each yeah. one of these countries, we speak, you know, very different Spanish from region to region. So someone from the south of Mexico will speak very different from someone who's from Mexico City or from the north of Mexico. And, you know, I, you would, I would have a very hard time trying to understand the Spanish that a Chilean speaks because they speak a very, very different, with very different regional um, sort of modisms and, you know, very different... Uh, Uh, at a very different speed and, and it's just kind of impossible and I'm sure that something happens in Finland even though the country is a lot smaller than you know Mexico or any of the other uh, big Latin American countries yeah and I wonder if you know Stefan what you were saying uh, about English do you think that you're writing in a Californian English as opposed to I don't know, because you live also back east in Buffalo. And I, I'm just curious what brand of English, what kind of English you think you're writing that 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 creates these kind of challenges when you translate into German, or German that might be from also a very specific region, like you said. Huh. Um, I, to me, it's more the sound, and that's and that's hard to translate. It's not so much what people say. And in English, actually, I'm really bad with accents. I mean, like, I, I can hear where everybody in Germany is from. I mean, they open their mouths. I know exactly where they're <laughs> from. But in, in English, I hear the accents, but I can't always place them unless it's a very strong, for example, Texas accent or a Southern drawl. But for me, it's hard to say, oh, this is a Michigan accent or this is a Buffalo accent. But but I know how people say these things or how direct they are in, in it would, would people like in Finland, will they say, Oh, auntie, you're definitely in Helsinki. Like, or, or will, I mean, are there different ways of talking? Because I also heard once that 
in Japan through television, everybody started to speak like people from Tokyo. And that the Tokyo dialect was becoming basically universal. So I, I'm not I'm not vouching for the veracity of that statement, but that's what I heard. And so is there something similar that um, yeah, in Finland that you know, okay, this is this town or this is this stretch of land? Yeah. Um, and Finland is, 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 it's a funny country. Uh, we're actually geographically uh, huge compared to our population. There's only five and a half million of us. And it, it's a huge patch of land for, for five, five million people. And so people are pretty much stretched out. Um, uh, of course, you know, a large part lives here in the Helsinki area, but um, as far as dialects go, it's a country of dialects. I can also, you know, say that, you know, he's from uh, Sabo or he's from Bohyama or he's from Lapland and, and, and so forth. But what I've also done in my books is, is some of them I've written where people speak very much like they speak in Helsinki. And what I've also done is that I've written the so-called, uh, it's, it's, the literal translation is literary Finnish. Like, mm. like, like, like it's, it's like the official Finnish. Yes. yes, yes. Uh, and, and so you can't, from that you can't tell uh, where anybody is from. And I've used those, again, very consciously. Uh, and I, I would not know how to really write somebody from, uh, actually really convincingly write somebody from, uh, say, the, the easternmost part of Finland, where they speak with a really, really different... It's, it's, it's comparable to, I, I suppose, the Southern drawl in, in America, uh, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. sort of, but, but of course it's the Finnish version of Finnish done Southern drawl. You could get the book, the same way you did with mushrooms and with math, you just need to do that. <laughs> I know I can be I, I can become a language expert next. <laughs> what, Joaquin, how, how do you deal with with accents? Like you, you, you say that <clears throat> different countries, very different kind yeah. of Spanish. So so when you write and you have people from specific places populating your novel, do can people who read your books can they hear where where these people are from? Yes, because mm. Spanish is so different, let's say, in Argentina, from the Spanish we speak in Mexico, that it's very evident that one of the characters comes from that part of the world. But, you know, I, I would not be able to, I, I cannot tap into very subtle differences within Argentina, because even though I lived in Argentina for four years, yeah. uh, I've been married to a woman from Argentina, and my my Mexican Spanish is very influenced by, you know, 30 years of marriage with a woman from Argentina. And yeah. also the fact, this is also interesting. 
I left Mexico in 1986. So my Mexican Spanish is a Spanish from the 1980s. <laughs> right. <laughs> you, really, you really have to be in one place. You know this, Auntie. You have to be in one city to stay pretty much in touch with the changes, right? Yeah. That yeah. take place on a daily basis, the way people talk. You have to listen to that. You have to listen to the people on the street. You have to listen to the radio, to the TV. Otherwise, you know, it's like you... You, you freeze in time and you don't grow or you don't move in the same way. Oh, yeah. People. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I find it always so hard with, with accents because there's, of course, politics around accents and how people are portrayed and stereotyped. And I always tell my students, okay, you can't say once or twice, it sounded like he was saying X, Y, or Z, or when he pronounced, for example, Arnold Schwarzenegger. I mean, you can still make fun of him, you know, um, because as Austrian, you can make fun, you can be made fun of, but, um, but you don't want to, you don't want to transcribe what it sounds like because then it becomes slightly offensive or weird, but, you have to, I mean, you have to describe how Arnold Schwarzenegger speaks in order to get, to make sense of, of how he comes off. And when he says something in a movie or on television, his, how he says something is part of the performance. And that's oh, yeah. really, and that's really hard to capture in a book without, without making the reader feel as though you're, you're, uh, I don't know condescending or, or, or patronizing the character. How, how do you guys do that? Do, do you experiment with that at all? Or I think I can make fun of the Terminator without feeling guilty. <laughs> you shouldn't. <laughs> A Republican, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's... I think what I've done is... Well, Finnish offers me this luxury of using the so-called um, official Finnish or the, yeah. the, the literary Finnish, which is like, it's, it's not, it's not in, by the way, any, in any way antiquated. It's, it's not, it's not that it's, it's, it's a, the way of, it's sort of. It's formal. It's, you know. it, it, it's formal, but it's not. It's not stiff formal. Yeah. It's, it's 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 like formal, and everybody understands. But but on the other hand, what I've found is that it is that you can make people <laughs> say all kinds of things, and then the reader may you know draw her or his own conclusions from what what they say. Mm. I mean, if they say. Mm -hmm smart things or if they say really stupid things seriously then you can you know think that hmm maybe it's not a wisdom competition material this guy so it's so that's one way to sort of go around that that reminds me of italian and the many different ways of dialects that you have to speak you know, variations of a language. I, you know, if you read Elena Ferrante, and I, I don't know if you, you've read any of her books, 
but she, you know, she writes in 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 Napolitan. The characters speak Napolitan because that's where the novels are set. Uh, and then you have the formal Italian, right? The academically correct way of speaking Italian. And that's why I said formal when you were talking about uh, uh, Finnish, because it may not be Steve, but it's, you know, kind of the official way of speaking one language. That there is a convention that people will use to speak that language because that's what the academic, academic suggests is, or, or yeah. is said, have determined is the correct way of speaking a language. But languages don't follow those rules. You know, people don't think, oh, I'm going to say this in the correct way. Just speak the way, you know, people around you speak because you want to be understood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's one side of it. But as I said, I'm, I'm really also interested in, in what people say because, well, especially nowadays, you just hear anything, really. <laughs> Um, I'm looking at the time, and I think it's time for the FDF recommendations, uh, Anti. Um, we're usually recommending at the end of the show something, anything, like it can be a book, it can be a restaurant, uh, anywhere in the world, um, it can be whatever, like a new sponge that you bought, and that works way better than any other sponge you ever had. Um, anything i would love to recommend my hometown of helsinki sweet uh, i would like to recommend it during the summer months <laughs> awesome wonderful thank you joaquin what do you have you know uh just to honor my our guest auntie to my man i i love helsinki I, I rented an Airbnb one place on this main avenue that was gorgeous. And they had a really, they, well, they had a really interesting Russian bookstore that was called Ruslania. And right next to it, there was a cafe. I can't remember the name of the cafe. And, you know, you just sit at this cafe and the streetcar goes by, the, the and just people walking. I had such a great time. And then I found uh, a place called the Academic Bookstore, uh, very close to, to, to the main uh, train station. There is a huge avenue and, avenue. and just, you know, like half a kilometer from that, there is the Academic Bookstore, where I sat for many, many hours to, to drink coffee and to, you know, look at books that I that I didn't understand even the titles or anything, but they had a good section of books in English. Uh, it was just one of the most amazing bookstores that I really, really appreciated. So yes, I will say go to Helsinki, uh, bring with you a copy of uh, one, one of your novels by Antti Tomina and, and have a good time. And my recommendation today is a dish It's a German dish from Northern Germany. It's very Northern German. Every, all other Germans, I think, hate that or don't even know about it. It's called Lapskaus, L-A-B-S-K-A-U-S, Lapskaus. And it's a mixture of mashed potatoes, red beets, fish, and eggs. And 
it looks very strange when you make it. Um, it's an acquired taste. As a kid, I hated it, even the sight of it. But as an adult, I found out that it's actually really, really, really good. And I'll put the link to a recipe into the show notes. Auntie, thank you so, so much for coming on today. It was so much fun to have you. Thank you, gentlemen. It's been my pleasure. And best of luck to the Rabbit Factor and executive producing it. Thank you. Thanks, Auntie. Come to California. Yes, come to California. I want to. Yes, just come. We'll show you. We'll show you around. <laughs> Thank you so Thank much, you and please join us again in two weeks for foreign, domestic, and forbidden. Bye bye. <laughs>